Genevieve once said, we only need to open our eyes to see the gifts that abound all around us. These are the simple joys in life. Welcome to the 40th episode of St. Dimna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. It's the last episode of season two, and my name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because even in our darkest moments, there are blessings around us if only we can open our eyes. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I got an email from Courtney with a topic that I thought might be relevant to everyone, mindfulness. Courtney writes, I've been reading about a bit about it, and it seems like there are a couple of different Catholic camps in regards to this, those who are for it and those who think it's problematic due to Buddhist influences. Can you speak about this? This is a great question, and I've actually gotten a few messages since starting up the podcast from Catholics wondering if they're allowed to practice mindfulness or if it contradicts the Catholic faith. So let's break it down. The definition of mindfulness from Wikipedia seems like a good place to start. Mindfulness is the psychological process of purposely bringing one's attention to experiences occurring in the present moment without judgment, which one develops through the practice of meditation and through other training. As an example, let's go through a really quick mindfulness exercise from psychology today to show you it doesn't go against the Catholic faith. Uncross your legs, relax, take a deep breath. We're going to go through our five senses to place ourselves in the current moment. We'll start with hearing. Begin to relax by just noticing all of the sounds around you. Give yourself permission to suspend your judgment of the sounds. They are not good or bad. They just are. Are you now hearing more than you were before you started? Subtle sounds may have previously gone unnoticed. Can you hear them now? Remember your steady breaths while you're listening. Now shift your concentration from noticing uh, the sounds to noticing the smells of the environment. Is somebody cooking lunch in your building? Can you detect the electronics smell of your computer or fresh air coming in through your window? Try closing your eyes so you can focus on the subtlest of scents. If you closed your eyes for a moment, uh, if you closed your eyes for a moment, open them up and notice the colors, shapes, and textures of your surroundings. If you really look, just about everything has color variation and texture that may have gone unnoticed. How many shades of blue or red? Any colors missing? Taste is next. You can do this one regardless of whether or not you have food to put in your mouth. If you have a snack, go ahead and take a small bite, noticing all the flavors and textures that arise. And if you don't have food, just notice your tongue and your mouth, your saliva, and your breath as you exhale. Most of us have taste in our mouth at all times. Run your tongue over your teeth and cheeks. What do you notice? Keep breathing. One more. Touch the last one. Where did you place your hands when you first started this exercise? Notice the sensation of where your hands meet uh, something solid like fabric of your clothes or the surface of your desk. Notice the pressure between your feet and the floor. Try feeling the textures that you noticed by sight a minute ago. To fully ground yourself in the room, bring the exercise to a close. Feel several objects on your desk and perhaps even stand up from your chair to bring energy and sensation to all parts of your body. 
That's it. It's just that simple. So while there can be mindfulness exercises that bring in Eastern spirituality, the vast majority are nothing more than practicing placing yourself in the present moment, and they're fantastic for calming our minds and reducing anxiety. On to the next topic. Another listener in the DMs is asking about eating disorders, and I think it's really important to explore this topic with all of you. Uh, They wrote, I would love to hear your thoughts about eating disorders, especially how they affect teenage girls and what we as Catholic parents can do to build them up. First of all, let's pray for everyone suffering from an eating disorder, everyone in recovery, and all those who love them and want to help. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eating disorders are serious. They are the mental illness with the highest mortality rate. 20% of those suffering from chronic anorexia, for example, will die because of their illness. So it's so vitally important that we learn how to recognize the signs and symptoms and then jump in to offer non-judgmental help because effective treatment is out there. Okay, so warning signs first and then some of the ideas for how to help based on an article at SciComm. Fear of gaining weight, distorted sense of body image, preoccupation with food, fluctuations Fluctuations in weight, refusing to eat in front of others, excessive exercising, strange food rituals or behavior, going to the bathroom after eating, irritability or changes in mood, problem with skin or teeth, weakness and fatigue, thinning of the hair. Starting to find treatment can be challenging, and the best place would probably be consulting with your teen's pediatrician, but there's a lot that can be done at home before that. Psychom again. If you're ready to have a conversation with your child today about their eating disorder, it's imperative to stay calm and first listen to what they have to say. Validate their emotions and repeat back what you heard. Then share the facts about eating disorders with them and what you have personally observed of their behaviors. Express how this makes you feel using I statements and remind them that you love them and share Uh, what positive personality traits, not physical ones, that you see in them. If you can manage your own anxiety and provide a calm space for your child, they are more likely to hear what you have to say. Above all, remember that recovering from an eating disorder doesn't happen in a day and it doesn't happen alone. Eating disorders are treatable and with the right support, your child can go on to live a full and healthy life. All of us parents should remember that preemptively, this is me again, talking with your children about mental health issues, if you're worried about it, developing or not, is a fantastic fantastic idea. Talk to your kids about depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders, suicide in an age-appropriate manner. Also, they can have the words to put their emotions, uh, words to put to their emotions or experiences as they get older. They need to start building their toolbox now, and a simple preemptive talk is a great way to start that process. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to St. Rita of Cassia. Born in 1381 in Italy, Rita was put into an arranged marriage by her parents when she was just 12 years old. Her husband, known to be a rich, quick-tempered, immoral man who had many enemies, was murdered about 18 years after their marriage. At her husband's funeral, she publicly forgave the murderers and attempted to join religious life. She was initially turned away. Although the convent acknowledged Rita's good character and piety, the nuns were afraid of being associated with her due to the scandal of her husband's violent death. She went back to the hard work of resolving the feuds associated with her 
her family and was successful and get this was carried via levitation to the monastery immediately after this happened and then was admitted to the order living there until her death in 1457 rita endured a relationship filled with insults physical abuse and infidelities for many years and today she is surely interceding for all individuals who find themselves in abusive relationships and as a vital reminder please know that the church does not want anyone to stay in a relationship that is dangerous or abusive and wants you to reach out for help, the help you need to get the safety that you deserve. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, and today we'll be praying for safety and peace for all those who currently find themselves in abusive relationships. By the singular merits of thy childhood, obtain for us our request. By the perfect union with the divine will, obtain for us our request. By the heroic sufferings during thy married life, obtain for us our request. By the consolation thou did experience by the conver- at the conversion of thy husband, obtain for us our request. By the sacrifice of thy children, rather than see them grievously offend God, obtain for us our request. By the miraculous entrance into the convent, obtain for us our request. By the severe penances and thrice daily bloody scourgings, obtain for us our request. By the suffering caused by the wound thou didst receive from the thorn of the crucified Savior, obtain for us our request. By the divine love which consumed thy heart, obtain for us our request. By that remarkable devotion to the blessed sacrament, obtain for us our request. On which alone thou didst exist for four years, obtain for us our request. By the happiness which with which thou didst part thy trials to join thy divine spouse, obtain for us our request. By the perfect example thou gavest to people of every state of life, obtain for us our request. Pray for us, O holy Saint Rita, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Boy, that's a heavy one. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous kicks us off. I know you've already touched on LGBT topics a couple times, but my former sister, now brother, recently came out as transgender. My husband and I told my siblings we would call them by their new name, told my sibling we would call them by their new name and use gender neutral pronouns because we recognize how hard gender dysphoria can be and want them to know we are here for them. We have two small kids, almost three and eight months. The almost three-year-old is starting to call her other aunts and uncles by their aunt-uncle title, and we don't know what to do for my sibling. Would it be wrong to have our kids call them uncle? Let's start by praying for everyone in the LGBT community and everyone who loves them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I think it's a blessing that you're thinking about this in a compassionate way, um, wanting your sibling to feel the love you so deeply have for them. I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. There is a time for sharing church teaching with our family and a time for showing the unconditional, compassionate, and selfless love of Christ. And it's a real sign of holiness when we can tell the difference. It's so important to keep our family members close to us and to have them see the radical love we live no matter what for every single person. It's a sign of contradiction in the world and something that has the power to draw them closer to Christ more than an argument against their way of life. 
As for the title uh, being used by your children, it's really hard. And I'm going to do that annoying thing that therapists often do and say only you can know the best path forward here. What I will say, and, and you're not doing this, but just so everyone can hear, it's that it's not really fair for our adult conversations or issues to be placed on young children. And what I mean is we shouldn't use our children to provoke an issue. Uh, like if your sibling wants to be called uncle, having your three-year-old call them aunt just to prove your stance wouldn't really be fair. So go with your gut. And if a time comes where a conversation about these parts of your relationship seems like it would be fruitful, go for it, but allow the kids to be removed from it. A different anonymous stopped by. I'm doing EMDR therapy right now for my PTSD, but find that I'm almost immediately triggered when I pray. Doesn't matter if it's the divine office or scripture or the rosary, unless it's the rosary while driving weirdly. Do you have any thoughts on what I might be able to do to help that? Let's stop what we're doing again and pray for this anonymous and everyone trying to move forward after experiencing trauma and all the fallout that comes with such experiences. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Prayer actually triggers a lot of us from time to time, and I can see how doing EMDR could lead to prayer being triggering, as with both, you start by placing yourself in a calm space, and your brain could easily associate the two. That being said, the rosary while driving provides a potential path forward, since it seems like praying while being distracted might be the key. Try praying while folding the laundry, praying while vacuuming, praying while doing anything else that distracts your body with an activity while doing the prayer. In addition to that, Ask other people to pray for you. When I was unable to pray during the time after the death of our son, asking people to pray for me was the only thing that pulled me closer to Christ, and it's so worth it. Lastly, find a small prayer that you can engage in uh, that isn't a whole to-do. Like so often we pray the rosary, we pray the hours, and it's like a whole thing, and it, it could be the setup to all of that that could be the thing that's triggering us. Instead, try to focus on something simple like, Jesus, I trust in you, or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me a sinner, or Virgin Mary, Mother of Christ, make me a saint, as these can be prayed quickly without any preparation or forethought, and they can bring grace and peace into your heart as much as any lengthier prayer. Hang in there and keep up the hard work of the PTSD treatment. We'll keep up the prayers for you. Last up, we have Jackie. She says, I minored in psychology 20 years ago, and I remember studying Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I took issue at the time with including sex in the basic needs like food and shelter, though I couldn't articulate why. It occurred to me the other day that I feared that placing sex in the same level as the necessity of food encourages ideas like marital debt and rape culture. Am I way off here? What do you think? Thanks for checking in, Jackie. Let's start with some definitions. The hierarchy of needs is a theory proposed by Abraham Maslow in 1943. It's basically a triangle with certain levels that must be satisfied before moving on to the next. At the base is physiological needs, then safety, then love and belonging, next esteem, and at the very tip top, self-actualization, which Maslow described as the desire to accomplish everything that one can to become the most that one can be. So for example, we can't be all that we are meant to be if we don't have our physiological needs taken care of, like health, food, water, sleep, if we don't have safety, like personal, emotional, and financial security, if we don't have love and belonging, like friendships, intimacy, and family, and if we don't have self-esteem. 
More to your question, you are not alone for taking issue with sex being placed in the uh, physiological needs. From Wikipedia, the position and value of sex on the pyramid has been a source of criticism regarding Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy places sex in the physiological needs category along with food and breathing. It lists sex solely from an individualistic perspective. For example, sex is placed with other physiological needs which must be satisfied before a person considers higher levels of motivation. Some critics feel this placement of sex neglects the emotional, familial, and evolutionary implications of sex within the community. Me again. The main criticism of Maslow's theory is that he basically lays out an animalistic theory of human behavior and motivation and simply tops the pyramid off with something human, the idea of self-actualization. And it should be obvious to most of us that humans are much more complicated than that. On the positive side, however, it's really important for us to remember that people need to have physiological and safety needs met before they can work on other therapeutic ideas. And this is so important when it comes to social justice too. People deserve to be housed, deserve to be healthy, and deserve to have financial security so that they can actually work on self-actualization. And we are responsible to help them with those needs as their sisters and brothers in Christ. Thanks for allowing me to geek out on psychology a bit there, Jackie. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they have going on and support the cause, including some bonus episodes that'll get you pumped about psychology and help you get your St. Dymphna's fix during the break between season two and three. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.